Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin reading verse 1. We'll read down through verse 16. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. May 21st, 1832, in Yorkshire, England, James H. Taylor was born to his father, James, and mother, Amelia Hudson. His father was the town pharmacist, also the town's Methodist preacher, raised his son to to know the Lord, raised him in church, but like many young people, rebelled against his father's teachings and walked away from all that he learned. But by God's grace, at the age of 19, he found a track, a gospel track, read it, and came to saving faith in Christ. Two years later, at the age of 21, James Hudson Taylor left Liverpool on a ship with a five-month journey ahead of him to Shanghai, China. He was committed to bring the gospel to those who had never heard Christ. He expected to join other missionaries there in Shanghai. There were a handful of other missionaries there, and uh, he was expecting it to be difficult and, and was prepared for that. But when he got into Shanghai, he found the missionaries there living in a large compound, sipping tea, well, they had Chinese servants waiting on them, dressed in their typical Chinese garments, the men with their heads shaved except for the top knot with the long black braid flowing down their back. And Hudson Taylor was appalled by what he saw. And none of those missionaries had any intention on 
leaving the comfort of their compounds there in Shanghai for anything outside of the city. They weren't intent on going into the inland of China, which is where the majority of the people were. But Hudson Taylor wanted to go into the inland, and he wanted to share the gospel with those who had never heard. By the summer of 1855, he had learned enough Mandarin, and he made his way up one of the rivers into the inland of China to a place where people had likely never seen anybody from the West. He was able to gather a crowd of men around and he began to tell them about Jesus, who he was and why he came and what his death meant. And Taylor tells the story of one particular man who was very focused on the message. Taylor was very encouraged as he preached. This man would not take his eyes off of him and seemed to be hanging on every word. And when the sermon was over, Hudson was looking for responses. And this man approached him and said, I am sure that what you've been saying is true, but humble foreign teacher, I have to ask you one question. Hudson Taylor was excited to answer the question, thought, I can't believe that we're going to see the first convert already. And the man said, I've been pondering all the while while you've been preaching, but the subject is no clearer in my mind. The honorable garment you are wearing, foreign teacher, has upon one edge a number of circular objects which might do duty as buttons, and on the opposite edge, certain slits in the material probably intended for buttonholes. But what are the three extra buttons, referring to the decorative buttons on his double-breasted suit? What are they for? Hudson Taylor was deflated. The crowd was more interested in his clothing than in Christ. The message overshadowed by a coat. Hudson Taylor vowed his appearance would never be able to upstage the gospel ever again. And when he got back to Shanghai, he he got rid of all of his Western clothes and he bought all Chinese garments. He had red hair and he dyed it black, including his eyebrows. And he shaved his head except for a top knot that wasn't quite yet long enough for a braid, but it would over the years grow and he would have a long black braid down the, his back. At the, in the next 10 years, by 1865... Hudson Taylor started China Inland Mission with the goal of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into the interior of China. And by the time of his death, June 30, or June 3rd, 1905, there were 825 missionaries in inland China. Amazing. Luke chapter 10 records Jesus sending out teams of two, 35 teams of two, For the first cross-cultural missions trip. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples, but it had been a incultural trip. They were to only go to Jewish Jewish cities, which they did. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to send out 70, or your Bible may say 72. And they're going to go to the Gentiles. They're going to preach the kingdom. They're going to go across the other side of the Jordan into Perea, all largely Gentile cities. 
And they're going to present the gospel. For the disciples, earlier on their trip, it was like sharing the gospel at an extended family reunion. They were all Jewish people. They all had the same background. It wasn't going to be that difficult. This, however, was going to be sharing the gospel with people you've never met before, you have a different culture with, may not even get along with. This is like sharing the gospel at a stranger's family reunion. We'll see four realities that take place here that influence the way that we share the gospel today. Number one, we must recognize that we are needed for the harvest. We must recognize that we're needed for the harvest. In verse 1 just says that Jesus is sending out the 70 to every city in the place that he himself is going to go. They're to prepare the way. They're to go to these cities that Jesus will visit one last time. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's going to come from the north and head down into some of these Gentile cities before he goes to Jerusalem where he'll eventually be crucified. The time is short because Jesus' time is short. The amount of work to be done is vast. The people need to hear before it's too late. The cause is crucial. They need to meet the Messiah. They need to know Him before they die. Same things are true today. Time is short. Time is short for you and I. And the older you get, the faster you realize time goes by. And it's short for other people. James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That speaks quite a bit about our the, the longevity of our life. When you're a teenager, it seems forever. I remember as a teenager trying to figure up, and I wasn't very good at math anyway, but trying to figure up how old I would be in the year 2000. I would like to be that age again. I remember thinking, wow, that'll be old. Wow, was I wrong. The amount of work that to, to be done is vast. We have a huge amount of work to do to give the gospel to the people who need to hear about Christ. And the cause is crucial. People need to hear Christ before it's too late. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. Everyone's going to die at some point in time if they're not raptured when Christ returns for His church. And after we die, we give an account. There's judgment. You're either going to be ushered into the kingdom or you're going to be ushered out of the kingdom into hell. Verse 2 says, Jesus was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first thing he says, the harvest is plentiful. He's speaking of the urgency That there's many people who need to hear the gospel. Many people who need to come to Christ. Jesus has used this imagery before. When he, early in his ministry, he had stopped in the city of Sychar, a Samaritan city. And you remember the story as he sat by a well, a woman came to draw water. And Jesus had this conversation with the woman about the, uh, uh, telling her all about herself. And she said, I, I perceive 
uh, that you're a prophet. And she asked him about the Messiah. And Jesus said, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. And she ran away into the city to get other people to tell them about Jesus. And, and as she went into the city, the disciples came back and were talking to Jesus. And as they looked, they see this crowd of people coming from the city towards him. And in John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Looking at the people coming, Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look on the field that they are white for a harvest. It's harvest time right now. People are ready to hear the gospel right now. There are somewhere in the vicinity of 7.5 billion people on planet Earth. In the area known as the 1040 window, it's an area, it's a long rectangle that stretch, that is from the, the 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude. In that area, there are approximately 5.2 billion people. 69% of the world's population lives in the 1040 window. There are in that area 8,887 distinct people groups. Those countries include Afghanistan, Albania, Bangladesh, China, Egypt, Ethiopia, India, Iraq, Iran, Israel, North Korea, Myanmar, Nepal, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and many, many more. It's the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists live in that 1040 window. Of these distinct people groups, of the 8,887 distinct people groups, 6,170, or 69.5% of them, are considered unreached people groups. Little or no gospel message there. Add to that the number of people in our own country who maybe have heard of Christ, but are believing a false gospel or not believing anything. The agnostic, the atheist, or the apathetics. We hear these kind of numbers and the job seems overwhelming. How do we reach so many people? How do we get the gospel to so many people? How do we get the gospel into these countries that are rejecting the gospel? The harvest is great. It's massive. In fact, and the obstacles are immense. And the time to reach the harvest is limited. The problem is, though the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. The task is huge and the, the pool to draw from is small. The larger the task, the more laborers are needed in order to fulfill it effectively. We've heard the axiom, many hands make light work. We see it here. We ask you to, after the second service, we need to stack chairs. And often there's many people that do it, and it's done in a couple of minutes. If, if it's, we're not having a service and we need to stack chairs and there's just two or three of us, it takes a bit longer. One website that sells prefab barn kits. You can buy different sized barns, small, medium, and large barns. All the lumber's pre-cut, all the metal's pre-cut, everything's pre-drilled, ready to assemble. On a large barn, according to this website, it takes four men, I'm sure women could help, four men, five to twelve days 
to build a large size barn. The Amish build the same size barn in 10 hours without pre-cut lumber and pre-drilled lumber. How do they do that? Because literally dozens of men show up to do the work. It's a similar task with missions. We look at the world and all that needs to be done, and if we only have four or five people who are ready to go, it's, it's overwhelming. But the more people that will join the harvest, the easier it will be. The more effective we'll be. For that reason, Jesus says, in the middle there, verse 2, Therefore, because the harvest is plentiful, because the laborers are few, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Unfortunately, NIV drops that word beseech, and it's unfortunate. It is in the Greek, and it it can be translated behold, or uh, beg here. Beg the Lord of the harvest. We need to, because of the size of the harvest and the size of the labor pool, be begging God to send out more laborers. I want you to recognize this is Jesus saying this. Jesus is not saying, don't worry about it, guys. Whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved, and whoever's not, it's not. It doesn't matter what you do. He says the harvest is huge, the labors are few. For that reason, you should be begging God to send out labors into the harvest. The only logical response to the dilemma is to beg God for more help. I want you to hear the urgency of Christ's commands. The harvest is ready. The labors few. Beg God to send out more labors. Pray that God raises up more and more laborers to help reap the harvest. Men like Hudson Taylor, like Adoniram Judson, like William Carey. Pray that God will transform people from loafers into laborers. Pray that God will equip men and women with the desire, the knowledge, and the courage to leave their comfort zones and go out into the field. And share Christ. I wonder, do you do you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to beg God to send laborers into the harvest? I contend to you that many Christians will not do that. And they'll not do that for one simple reason. They're afraid. If I start begging God to send laborers into the harvest, He might send me. Would that be terrible? I wonder, moms and dads, would you pray that God would send your kids into the harvest? That God would raise up your children to leave their homes one day and go to some foreign field and live their life there? Would you beg God to send you? I know some of you are saying, I would, Pastor, but at my age, it's too late. Not really. We must pray that the Lord sends labor into the harvest. Listen, there's a, there's a much more ominous harvest coming. 
Writing about impending judgment, the Apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. John writes, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put your sickle in and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe and is talking about God sweeping in and scooping up men that don't know Him and throwing them into the winepress of His wrath. Everybody's going to be part of some harvest. They're going to be part of the gospel harvest or they're going to be part of the judgment harvest. The harvest is ready. And we need to be ready and willing to go into the harvest. We recognize that we are needed for the harvest. Number two, we realize that the work is dangerous. We realize that the work is dangerous. Verse three, go. Listen to this for a job description. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Sign me up. If you were seeing that as a job description, you probably wouldn't apply. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm not sending you to Candyland. I'm sending you into a dangerous situation. And in this particular group of people, Jesus is speaking to, I'm sending you as Jews into a Gentile territory. A place where they hate Jews. The command is simple there. It's go, and it continues to show the urgency there. It's a present active command to to keep on going. There's no time to waste. As Jesus is sending these people out, He's just a few months away from the cross. From time to time, someone will ask me, what happens to those people like in the 1040 window who never hear of the Gospel? Never hear of Christ. What about the kid who was raised in a Hindu home? And raised to believe in the Hindu faith. And that's all he's ever known. He's never known anything else. In his entire life, that's all he's ever heard. What about them? Well, the answer is, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, that person is going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. And the response is usually along the lines of something like, that's not fair. It's not fair that this person who's never heard of Christ ends up in hell forever. Well, setting aside the, the argument of fairness for a moment, the proper response, the biblical response to a statement that this person is going to spend the eternity in hell is not That's not fair. The proper response is, we need to tell them. How do we get the gospel to them? We debate the fairness of of God's sovereign judgment on the world and what we should be doing is going out into the harvest and telling as many people as we possibly can about Christ. We need to find a way to get the good news to these poor souls. 
We need to pray that the Lord of the harvest sends more laborers into the harvest. We can't go everywhere. But we can pray. And we can give. We can send. Behold, I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus is saying, listen up, I want to tell you something important. I'm sending you as a lamb into a wolf pack. Jesus is not saying that we're going to be the guest of honor at a banquet. We are going to be the banquet. We know that the apostles were killed for their faith. Peter would be, according to tradition, crucified upside down. Paul would be beheaded. John would be boiled in oil. And when he didn't die, they banished him to the island of Patmos. And we know of all the stories of of men and women throughout the centuries that have lost their lives for the faith. We know stories of men like Jim Elliott who was speared to death in Ecuador by the very people he was bringing the Gospel to. By the way, Jim Elliott was inspired to be a missionary by reading the biography of Hudson Taylor. Can you tell him I'll call him back? Certainly there are many other stories of Christians even nowadays. I heard of James Coates, the pastor in Canada who was arrested and spent almost a month in jail for preaching during the pandemic, having services during the pandemic. Their, church, their entire building was confiscated by the authorities and just returned last week. While there are dangers that are often physical for those who share the gospel, the dangers are always spiritual. Paul spoke of a wide door of spiritual opportunities in Ephesus, but said there are many adversaries. We've seen the spiritual battles that our missionaries in Greece, Taki and April of Corianitis, and we'll hear from them next week. We've seen the, we've heard the stories of the controversies that have taken place there and the opposition that they've faced and the number of times the police have been called to try to shut them down. We've seen the spiritual battles of missionaries that we support in Croatia and Brazil and other places. And the day is coming, and you can write this down, that we will no longer be sent as sheep in the midst of wolves because we'll all be surrounded by wolves. We won't need to be sent to them. Jesus didn't promise an easy road. In fact, he promised the exact opposite. In Matthew 10, 22, he said, you will be hated by all because of my name. In Matthew 24, 9, he said, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Despite the danger, the harvest is ready. And we need to be ready and willing to go into the harvest. Because the work is dangerous, number three, we must rely on God to provide what is needed. We must rely on God to provide what is needed. Now, in verses 4 through 9, 
These are, for the most part, commands for that particular group on that particular missions trip. It wasn't blanket statements for all time. But the principles do apply to everyone. Verse 4, he says, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. The reason Jesus told them that was to be completely reliant upon him. You need to depend on me to provide for you, to meet your needs. And that's true for all of us. If we're going to join the harvest, we need to trust the Lord to provide all that we need. Be it finances, be it courage, be it the words to say. God never gives His children a job to do without giving them the supplies to do it. In other words, God would never tell us to dig a hole and never give us a shovel. He will equip us to do whatever He tells us to do. Then He says in the end of verse 4, Greet no one on the way. Uh, Jesus isn't telling people to be rude here. He was just telling the teams to focus. Don't get distracted. In that day and age, you'd stop and greet people on the street. You could stand there for an hour talking to them. You ever met those people? You're on a hurry and you see some certain person come and you say, I don't have time to talk to that person. I gotta, I can't, we, we can't just say hi to each other. It doesn't work that way. So that's what Jesus is saying. Don't get distracted. That's still applicable today. Give the message of the gospel the priority it deserves. It's easy to get distracted. And sometimes we, we are thankful for the distraction. We know we're going to do something that God's called us to do. We're a little apprehensive about it. We're afraid in our flesh. And we, we find an opportunity to be distracted. Oh, let me go do this instead. Let me do something else instead. Here's an opportunity to serve the Lord. Oh, I, I can't. I, they may call me into work. They haven't called me into work for a year, but they may. Verses 5 through 9, keep your focus on Christ. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. And if not, it will return to you. They, you would, uh, in that day and age, you just came into a city, people would invite you to stay in their homes. Stay in that house, verse 7, eating and drinking whatever they give you. The labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house trying to find somebody that's got better food, better, more comfortable bed. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal all who are, in, who are sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Keep the message the same. Don't, don't keep trying to uh, get more comfortable or find better accommodations. You just stay in those houses. God is saying, you trust me for the results. You keep your focus on me. And we do the same thing. We're to keep our focus on the Lord and not go to some country like those early missionaries in China who got there and said, what can I do to be more comfortable here? How can I make this field feel more like the West? We can have a compound. We can have a nice place to live. We can have servants and we can build a McDonald's and then we'll feel like we're at home. We'll put a Starbucks in the McDonald's and then we'll really feel at home. We must recognize the need for the harvest. The work is dangerous and we rely on the Lord. And that brings us to number four. We must remember what awaits those who reject the gospel. We must remember what awaits those who reject the gospel. 
We're not only to tell people about the love of God, the love that Christ has for them. We're not to only tell them about the mercy that God offers, the grace that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We should warn them about what happens when they reject the gospel. And for some time, some years ago, some decades ago, this idea of warning people about rejecting the gospel has been expunged from evangelism. Nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to talk about judgment. But ladies and gentlemen, it is a reality that awaits every single person who rejects Christ. And they ought to hear about it. You and I don't know what the Holy Spirit will use to draw people to saving faith. I got saved on a Sunday night, walked the aisle invitation after my pastor preached on hell. I had heard the gospel, I'd heard the other parts of it, and the message on hell scared me. And I did not want to go there. People need to hear the whole truth. And they need to hear the consequences of what happens when they reject the truth. It's not just a matter of not going to heaven. Look at verse 10. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Warn them what they're missing. Warn them of how serious it is. When Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy, and Timothy is a young man, and he's pastoring churches, and he's preaching the gospel, Paul tells him, don't let anyone disregard you. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. I was 18 years old when I first started as a youth pastor. I had graduated at 17, and I was a youth pastor of the same group the next year, that wasn't awkward at all. So I quickly grew the cheesiest mustache you've ever seen to try to look older. But then it finally dawned on me, it's the message that's important. And we need to be passionate about the message. And we can't let people pretend like the message is no big deal. We don't let anyone disregard us. The message is important. Verse 12 says, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You remember the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. As angels went into the cities to take Lot and his family out, the men of that city wanted to molest the angels. So much so that the angels had to strike them blind and even that didn't stop them. The men just kept groping for the doorknob to try to get in the house. And as God removed Lot and his family from that city, he rained fire and brimstone down onto the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped them off the face of the earth. And Jesus is saying for the city that rejects the gospel, it will be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment, and for that city. And then he goes on, verse 13, to speak of the modern cities there that they had been preaching the gospel to. Jewish cities here. Woe to you, Chorazin! 
Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities up on the north west coast of Palestine. They would eventually be wiped out, pushed into the ocean. And Jesus is saying if the things that had been done in these Jewish cities had been done in these Gentile cities, those Gentile cities would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. You think about Nineveh, that wicked city of Gentiles that Jonah did not want to go to. They didn't deserve in his mind to hear the gospel. And after he finally obeyed God and went in, and there was mass revival, and the people sat in sackcloth and ashes as a sign of mourning over their sin. Jesus says the same thing would have happened in the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon if they'd have seen the same miracles that Chorazin and Bethsaida had seen. Then he goes on in verse 15. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? But you'll be brought down to Hades. Capernaum was the home base of Jesus. It's where Peter and Andrew lived. And Jesus stayed. Jesus had transferred His headquarters from His hometown of Nazareth to Capernaum. It's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful location. And they saw more miracles than any city in all of Palestine. They heard more of the message of Jesus Christ than anybody else. And as a city, ultimately rejected Christ. He says, you're not going to be brought up to heaven. You're going to go to hell. And then he says in verse 16, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Jesus says something very important here. If they're not, if they don't listen to you, it's like they ignored me. Now, clearly Jesus is inferring that we are giving the right message. That we are speaking for Him, the gospel. And when we do that, when we preach Christ and they reject us, Jesus is saying, you don't need to take that personally. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And not only are they rejecting me, they're rejecting the one who sent me. They're rejecting God. So we don't take it lightly. We don't get mad. We don't start fighting. It's not evangelism by the tip of the sword. But we take it seriously. It's not nothing. It's not irrelevant. It's not, well, they don't want to believe. Well, you know, they got their own beliefs. If we understand how dangerous it is for somebody to reject the gospel, that will influence how passionately we give the gospel. If we firmly believe what the Bible says, that you either go to heaven or you go to hell, then we don't want people to go to hell. We live in a world where the gospel can be spread in so many different ways. We have... Conveniences that Hudson Taylor 
Adoniram Judson couldn't even dreamt of. With the media that is available to us and the way that we can get the gospel and the, and the missionaries that we can support and the, the ways that we can invest in getting the gospel around the world is amazing. Yet as you heard from, from Alex Montoya, not Alex, Carlos, thank you. I do that all the time. Alex Montoya was a professor of mine. Uh, Carlos Montoya, who's also a professor, just not my professor. As he mentioned in the video, we found it's more effective face-to-face. Even though we're thankful we can do it through video, it's more effective face-to-face. And that's still true today. But we have printed material, audio, video, computers that can get the message. People can get it in real time. But God has still called us to be laborers in the harvest. Yes, you can send your next door neighbor a video. But I promise you, you'll be more effective if you go talk to them. If they hear your passion. If they hear your story. If they hear what Jesus did in your life, it'll be more effective. We are not not all called to be vocational pastors. We're not all called to be vocational missionaries. But all Christians are called to be laborers in the harvest. So how do you do that? Well, you share the gospel one-on-one. You come alongside those who are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. You do that by praying for them. You do that by helping support them financially. We do that with Faith Promise Missions. And we encourage everybody who comes to be involved in Faith Promise Missions in some way. You can all pray. We put out a prayer booklet now every other month that Alaire contacts all of our missionaries. In fact, you heard last week Devraj saying we always look forward to the email from Alaire. There's not a missionary that we support that doesn't bring her name up. She's going to be the most well-known woman in heaven one day. People are going to be lining up. I want to meet Naomi and Ruth and Alaire. So you can read the prayer requests of our missionaries. And you can pray for them. And you can contribute. We call it Faith Promise Missions because we ask you to give by faith. Whatever God lays on your heart above and beyond your normal giving. If you're a, a, a child that receives an allowance, I encourage you to give a dollar a week to missions. If you're a teenager that's working, maybe you're making money mowing lawns or babysitting, I encourage you to give five bucks a week. If you're a young adult just starting out in your career, I strongly encourage you to make missions giving a part of your regular giving now because it's only going to get harder when you get older. The longer you wait to give, the harder it becomes. You start doing it now, you'll be amazed at how God supplies your need to give to Him and you don't even miss it. We can all do that. And I would encourage you, if you're not giving to missions, please prayerfully ask God if he would put a figure on your heart 
You as husband and wives, you can pray individually. Ask God to give you each the same figure. Don't be afraid when he gives you that figure to tell each other. And then give as God allows you to do that. By 1935, 30 years after Hudson Taylor died, there were 1,368 missionaries in China because of one man's vision. All trying to reach the unreached people. 1,300 missionaries. 1949, China became a communist country under the rule of Mao Zedong. In 1953, every missionary was expelled from the country. 1960, all religious groups were banned. Though all the missionaries were ejected from the country, they weren't without witnesses. Because of those 1,300 plus missionaries, many thousands of Chinese people came to saving faith in Christ and were still sharing the gospel, even under communism. And as things began to lift in the last 20 years, 15, 20 years in China, the underground church began to rise to the surface. And China realized there were tens of thousands of believers in the country. The Chinese government, still communist, is becoming more and more open to the church. There's still some restrictions. There's still a number of underground churches because they don't want to register with the government. We don't blame them. But the gospel's growing still. God used a red-haired man who said, I'm not going to let my coat distract from the gospel. I will do everything I can to enter this harvest. We praise God for that. Will you enter the harvest? It's ready. We need to be willing to go. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the harvest and the laborers in that harvest. Father, thank you that there were laborers that were sent to us that we could hear the gospel and be saved. Thank you, Father, for men like Hudson Taylor who gave his life to share the gospel with unreached people. Father, give us wisdom to reach more. Give us the means to reach more. Give us the courage to reach more. Father, give us the courage to go. Give us the courage to give, to send others. That, Lord, you may receive the glory and the honor. People may be saved. Father, thank you that you use people like us in the harvest. But, Father, the world is large. The need is great. People are being born and people are dying faster than we're getting them the gospel. 
Father, raise up men and women for the harvest. Raise up men and women in this church. Boys and girls right now, Father, put in their heart to give their life to missions. Father, help us to raise more funds to send more missionaries that the harvest might be reaped and you might be glorified. People might be saved. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we close in song?